All right, well, welcome back to another episode of Bite Size Virtue. This is going to be episode six of season four. And it's Holy Week, which means that it is the week that begins with Palm Sunday and ends with Easter. Pretty much, for those who follow the Christian religion in one of its many different denominations, the most important week of the year, bar none. Um, but it's interesting because it's a week that, you know, is, I mean, it ends obviously with great joy, Easter, the celebration of Christ's resurrection and his final victory over sin and death, by which the salvation of all humanity is effected. But to get to that, you got to go through the other part of Holy Week, which we start uh, to remember on Palm Sunday, but, you know, it was, of course, particularly remembered on Good Friday. And this is, of course, the death of Jesus by crucifixion. So, much of the tone of Holy Week is often very somber. Actually, a lot of Christians are in will and are encouraged, you know, if they observe Lent, because not every Christian denomination observes Lent as a season of fasting. But for those that do, it's actually really, you know, considered um, commendable. It's really encouraged, you know, if at all possible, to take on an additional penance. And I think I've talked about Lenten penances enough already. Uh, but, you know, to just take on some additional Lenten sacrifice for Holy Week. Just, you know, really, just really to connect yourself to the suffering and death of Jesus. Consequently, I think that means it's not necessarily a bad week to look at the anti-virtue of honor, right? You know, we've talked about the virtue of honor, and I mean, to be fair, I just looking back on like the show notes and playing the, the episodes back in my mind, this is, whole season has really been a more down-tempo thing for me. You know, I've had a lot of, um, I don't want to say troubled, but you know, like a lot of more melancholic, maybe, uh, reflections on, on things. And so, you know, this is definitely going to continue in that vein. But I actually, you know, do make a point with each Bite Size Virtue series of looking at not just the virtue, but also the anti-virtue that's presented in Ultima. So in this case, um, we're looking at honor, we're going to be looking at the anti-virtue shame. But before we get to that, I just wanted to cover off something, because there's something I actually forgot to look at last week, and that is, of course, um, Blackthorn's corruption of honor. And the reason I say I forgot to look at this last week is because here's... So here's the main articulation of Blackthorn's corruption of honor. Quote, If thou dost lose thine own honor, then thou shalt take thine own life. Unquote. And that really gets back to the last episode and the conflation of a radical idea of personal reputation with the notion of honor. Just say, you know, because fundamentally what's saying here is that, you know, if you suffer a loss of reputation, you know, you should take your own life. That's eh, kind of severe. And in a lot of ways, very, very wrong-headed because that's not really... It's a very erroneous notion of honor. We shouldn't even really call it honor to, you know, um, to mean this idea of personal reputation or of group reputation or of familial reputation that is um, so radicalized that any slight against it has to be met with violence, either against whoever has slighted that honor or against the self. Yeesh. 
not a good thing. Now, that's not quite the topic I wanted to focus on this week, but we might wind up coming back to towards the end. We'll see. So, let's go back to Virtue of Honor, and in particular the name of the dungeon that opposes it, which is also the name of the anti-virtue that opposes it, Shame. The history of shame, I mean, you can look it up on wiki.ultimacodex.com. It's one of the uh, one of the dungeons that came into being after the time... Oh my gosh, that's a big truck. After the time of the Triad of Evil. And um, initially, you know, had a fairly straightforward monster population. Um, although I believe within Ultima 4, it was a, a particularly a gremlin population that had really kind of moved in. It started as a mine, and then the gremlins kind of drove everybody out. Obviously, you have to visit Shame on the quest for Avatar Hood. It's where you find the Purple Stone of Honor. And of course, further down in the depths, you can find magical orbs. They boost your strength. They boost, they boost your strength. They boost your intelligence. And then even further down, you find the Altar Rooms of Truth and Courage, the principles that ultimately unite to form the Virtue of Honor, which means, in turn, that you actually, through Shame, are connected to the dungeons of Deceit, Wrong, Destard, and Hithloth. Now, by the time of Ultima VI, the Gargish Conflict, um, the upper levels of Shame were more or less devoid of monsters. I mean, you could find a few there, for sure. But Shame is actually one of the easier dungeons to traverse, I find. It's also nice because it's kind of gone back to being a mine. It's a great place to find gold nuggets. Um, and, of course, in its depths, you find the pirate Ibarra, who has a piece of Hawkins' map, which is a critical, you know, the, the critical uh, part of the critical path of the second act of the game, where you're trying to figure out what to do with the... I mean, I know I've said in the past that it's... that that act of Ultima 2 is largely disposable, and it is. You can actually skip it and still pass the game. But at the same time, from a plot standpoint, it does fill in an important thing, right? Like, the whole point of the pirate map quest is to figure out what the deal is with the Book of Prophecy and finding the other half of the Silver Tablet that has... Um, the Gargish language on it is integral to that. Now, by the time of Ultima, it, Shame, of course, traditionally is located on the shores of Lost Lake. So, by at the time of Ultima 7, Shame and Despise actually kind of got conflated together. This is one of the many annoyances I have with the dungeons of Ultima 7. By the time of Ultima 9, Shame, uh, unfortunately, was put in a completely different place by the designers. Um, that doesn't make a lot of sense from a, like, you know, tectonic shift standpoint, but equally does make a bit of a bit of sense from a thematic standpoint, because they actually moved Shame quite close to the city of Trinsic, which, of course, is the city of the Paladins, the followers of the Virtue of Honor. During that time, um, I mean, it was used as a proving ground for the Paladins, uh, who ultimately, you know, retrieved the Chalice of Honor, which had come to be their emblem from its depths. And you, as the Avatar, of course, find that the... Uh, you, as the Avatar, of course, have to journey into Dungeon Shame to um, retrieve this sigil in order to, you know, defeat the column that is corrupting the city of Trinzig. And, um, but what's interesting about that particular quest in Ultima 9, unlike some of the other ones where you just find the sigil and go. Um, in this case, you find the sigil, but before you can get it to the column, Blackthorn appears, and he actually destroys the chalice, which leaves you in a bit of a bind. Now, 
course, Ultimate 9 uses that to expand on the lesson it offers about honor and shame. And it does this via one character in particular, Lucero, uh, who you meet actually through his wife, La Lindonia. Now, she, you know, she greets you and she talks about how um, Lucero had really become depressed after the Chalice of Honor had been stolen. And she herself is, of course, initially skeptical of the Avatar. Uh, she can't believe that, you know, you would help her without expecting something in return. Because, of course, Trinzic has really become corrupted. Um, you know, the, the people there are not living up to the virtue of honor. They're, in general, acting very dishonorably. Speaking to Lucero himself, you know, it becomes very clear that he has a great deal of shame over the loss of the chalice. Which, of course, has been destroyed. Uh, so, what's neat about this is, though, you have the opportunity, via the character of Lucero, to recreate a Chalice of Honor, to create a new sigil. Um, you know, and you... You do this by convincing Lucero to help another paladin, Virgil, um, clean out some phase spiders that are threatening the city. Um, now, initially, you're not really able to convince him, but then, you know, ultimately, you're able to coax, you're able to summon the spirit of Dupre to come and talk with him and, you know, really help him um, rediscover his sense of honor and rediscover his understanding of honor and rediscover, really, his own courage, especially, um, you know, the, the courage of his convictions, I guess, would be a really good way to put it. Um, now, he does lose his life in fighting the Fae Spiders, but, you know, in rediscovering that honor, um, he's able to contribute substantially, in a very important way, to recreating the Chalice of Honor, or creating a new Chalice of Honor. And then, of course, by that means, you're able to... Um, defeat the column, restore the city of Trinzic, and away you go, finish the rest of the game. Okay, so, that's kind of a brief overview of the history of shame and how it's fit into the plots of different Ultima games. But what is shame? You know, the actual sense of shame, or the actual uh, experience of shame. What is shame? I think we've probably mostly all felt shame, and it's not fun. It's one of the more painful emotions you can experience. Um, the basic definition that Wikipedia offers first is that it's an emotion that results from the comparison of the self's actions with the self's standards. But equally, it could also stem from comparison with the self's state of being or actions with the, an external standard that, you know, comes from social context. So, broadly speaking, shame tends to stem from, and again, just still going by Wikipedia here, tends to stem from what's called volitional action. Volition, uh, another term for it is the will. Uh, so it's, you know, that cognitive process by which an individual decides or commits to a particular course of action. What's particularly problematic about shame is that, you know, no action by the person who is shamed is technically required. Um, 
sometimes simply existing is enough for it, right? I mean, talk about things like survivor's guilt kind of ties into this as one example, or, you know, just being made to feel bad, not because of anything you've necessarily done, but just because of some aspect of your being, who you are. The roots of the word shame come from a much older word meaning to cover, right? So, and I mean, this goes back to things like, uh, well, you can find an example of exactly that sense of the term in, you know, the story of Adam and Eve, right? They eat the tree, uh, or they eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, become aware that they are naked, and they feel shame, and they first seek to uh, cover themselves or hide themselves. Perhaps unsurprisingly then, a lot of the uh, ways that we communicate shame, communicate feeling shame, are, you know, intensely physical. They're bodily, right? We get red in the face, we blush, we look downwards, we act confused, our posture gets slack, um, our head gets lowered. You know, these are all very telltale signs of someone feeling a great sense of shame. And apparently that was a rock that just hit the side of my car, so... Well... Uh, the weather today is just all over the place. So, alright. I guess if you want, you could... Um, you can look, ultimately, from the reading I've done, and I mean, granted, this is very cursory because, of course, shame is a, is a much-researched topic, uh, and talking about it extensively would fill several dozen podcasts of the nature and duration of bite-sized virtue, and probably more than that even. So, you know, in the most basic way, um, the key to shame seems ultimately to be contempt. Uh, and there are sort of two different ways in which this can play out. In one sense, shame can be um, consciousness of the self as bad, and in the other way, consciousness of the self as being inadequate. So, in either way, you have contempt for yourself when you feel shame, but you're either contemptuous of yourself because you regard yourself to be, you know, bad, you know, in a fundamentally wrong position, or you have contempt for yourself because you regard yourself to be um, inadequate, not up to a particular task or not up to a particular standard, you know, falling short in some way. Uh, which, in turn, can often lead to the use of very negative um, coping responses, which just sort of add to the problem, the experience of feeling shame. Things like, you know, embarrassment. Uh, <laughs> the, some of the other emotions that can emerge out of shame. Embarrassment or, or disgrace, right? Humiliation, chagrin. So, like, it, it's, it's easy to see where... Like, it, it's easy to see if this is what's opposed to honor, what can we really deduce then about honor, right? And this goes back to something that we've already discussed at length. I think I really addressed it in episode three. Um, and in a way, I kind of caught myself by surprise in doing so because, you know, normally 
uh, this would be where I would introduce these ideas, but having already introduced them, my first attempt at recording this, this is why I'm recording it on a Monday as opposed to on Friday again, is, you know, I just kind of was like, oh, oh my gosh, I already talked about this, because I did, back in episode three. How did I put it there? You know, like, and again, this is, this is going to be more of an abridged note, I'm not going to just re-say the same things. The abridged version of it is that, you know, honor, again, as defined within Ultima Lore, is the courage to stand for truth against any odds. It's also the courage to stand for truth regardless of the circumstances. And, you know, what was the theme of episode three? Well, it's, you're not what you have done. You're not what you have done. Or, at least, you don't have to be, right? I mean, I... I have recorded podcasts, and I'm happy to be identified as a podcaster. I'm more than happy to incorporate that into my identity as a person. I have had children. I'm more than happy to be identified as a father. I'm happy for that to be a defining characteristic of my person. Have I done bad things? Yes, I've told lies. Am I happy to be called a liar? No, absolutely not. I don't want that to become a defining characteristic of my person. So what is the way that I different, how do I differentiate between those, right? How do I, how do I address the fact that, yeah, I've told lies in the past, and how do I avoid having, oh, he's a liar, be a part of my person? How am I not what I have done? Well, in particular to things of that nature, you know, things that I don't want to be defined by, um, which are often things that, you know, like, I do regret. There's perhaps nothing more courageous than admitting the truth of one's faults, you know, in the case, in this case, yeah, I've told lies, and I do regret that, and I'm genuinely sorry to the people that I have misled over, over the years for having, you know, by having done that. Because, again, we're not the bad things we've done. And we have a choice in that. The hurtful things that we do only need to define us, only need to come to define us if we allow them to become habitual and repeatable, or if we're genuinely not remorseful or, you know, or, or penitent for, for the hurt that we have caused. But if we have wounded or, or damaged others and yet can summon the courage to truthfully admit these faults and make amends, we can and do become something very different than what we've done. And, you know, I think that kind of gets us back to um, Blackthorn's definition of honor as well, right? Because, you know, like, what does it mean to lose your honor in the first place? Well, I, th I mean, in the sense of Blackthorn, I think he's more talking about, you know, like, some slight against your reputation or doing something that, you know, might be construed as damaging your reputation, right? And the assertion of the Blackthorn regime is very much that, you know, yeah, you are now inexorably tied to this thing that you have done. But clearly that's not true. And clearly, you know, 
there is a path out of that, which is to, you know, if you have genuinely, if you are genuinely at fault for something, just own it. Not in the sense of, you know, like, be proud about it. That's not it. But, you know, just own up to it. Admit it. Make amends for it. That takes an immense amount of courage to be truthful in that way. But if you can do that, it's also immensely, immensely restorative. And of course, I mean, the second part of that is, you know, well, go and don't do it again, right? Like, I mean, if... If I just habitually lied to people and then apologized, but then lied to them again, but then apologized, but then lied to them again, but then apologized, that's a problem. And it's that habitual wrongdoing that is, you know, really um, the problematic aspect of all of this. Uh, And I think that's why, you know, in that uh, one story of Jesus and the woman caught in adultery, you know, I mean, yes, the message that we tend to take away from that is, you know, uh, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And, to be fair, like, that is certainly a very important part of what Jesus is trying to teach there. But then equally, after the crowd has dispersed and no one has condemned her, Jesus turns to the woman and says, you know, where are your accusers? And her reply, well, they have all left. And Jesus says, then I do not condemn you either, but go and sin no more. And that's really, I think, the point. Sort of the other point, and what really serves to prevent the things that we have done that we don't want to define us from defining us. Admit the fault and seek to make amends. And then don't do it again. Be the person who is changed by that experience of repentance and of seeking to right the wrongs that one has done and demonstrate that to others. Because that is, I would say, the honorable thing to do when you hurt someone, when you've done something that is genuinely regrettable. Strive to the best of your abilities to make it right and then don't repeat the fault. Now, I would normally at this point get into trying to speculate as to what, because in other episodes of Bite Size Virtue, I've talked about, or other seasons of Bite Size Virtue, I've really talked about this idea that um, virtue, I've never really liked the ultimate model of virtue because it's never really made complete sense to me. Virtue isn't a simple binary, this is virtuous and this is not. I generally tend to take the more Aristotelian view, which is that virtue kind of exists as a golden mean between two equal but opposite vices. And I've I've tried in the past to, you know, apply that thinking to the virtues of Ultima with, generally speaking, really good success. Um, I don't have time, unfortunately. I'm coming to the end of my commute and I have to go pick up my daughter from school. So I don't have time to go into that today. So left as an exercise for the listener. If we assume that shame is one of the virtues 
or sorry, one of the vices that opposes the virtue of honor. What then is the equal but opposite vice on the other side of that? That similarly opposes honor, you know? Where, if honor is the golden mean between two vices, and shame is one of those vices, what is the other? It's left as an exercise. I mean, we've had some pretty good Facebook comments come out uh, of this series of bite-sized virtues, so maybe that's something that'll come out in the comments this week. At any rate, I do wish you a happy Easter because I'm not going to be putting out another episode until after Easter and there's not even a spam 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 humbug recording this Friday because of course that's Good Friday and I don't particularly care to spend my time podcasting on Good Friday. So, happy Easter to you and your family. And until next time, be virtuous.